Dear Heavenly Father, God, I praise your name for your graciousness, your mercy, and your love, Heavenly Father. And I just ask that you condescend to be here with us now, please, Heavenly Father. You are looking down on this world. You see us here, but you also see all the other peoples out there, and you know what every single person in this world is dealing with, God. God, I just ask that you give us a passion in our hearts to serve others. That is why we're even here, God, is to serve. Awaken a passion in someone's heart today for this topic, if it's your will, Heavenly Father. Put a ministry idea in their heart. Just guide our talk today. And I just beg you for the Holy Spirit, God, because you know that in and of myself, my heart is desperately wicked. So I just ask that you just speak through me in spite of myself. Give people here an interest. Keep them awake. And may they see the importance of this topic for your glory. Most importantly, may we just work to hasten your coming, Father. We just need to go to heaven so all this ridiculousness can end on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I'm walking down a path in Malawi, Africa. The landscape is absolutely beautiful. The gum trees, their white trunks are gleaming. The electric green of the tea leaves are glistening in the sun. But to my right and to my left, I see shacks. The roofs are collapsing. They are insufficient protection against the hard rains of the rainy season. Come in. I see people washing their eating utensils in the muddy water, not of their sinks, but in the ditch beside the road. I trudge along a wooded path, this one actually, for about 20 minutes until I reach a little village, which is my destination. Chichewa Bible in tow, I am headed to visit Mrs. Gopani, a little 70-ish, this is her, year old lady, who is suffering from the after effects of leprosy. She's actually a huge rarity in Malawi because she has reached this age. This is not the norm. Her feet are nubs. You can see her hand are nubs. She hobbles around in the dust. I arrive at her house. Her thatched roof is falling in. She has no bed to sleep on. She sleeps on the floor. She has no running water, no restroom. She hauls her water at her age from kilometers away in her enfeebled condition. This is poverty. I walk into a downtown hotel in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There are 30 people gathered in the conference room at the hotel. I make my way around the room visiting with the people and I hear numerous stories. Many are sick. Many are desperately looking to find jobs. Many do not have places to live. I talk to one young Hispanic man. He is homeless. He has no family in the United States. He does not have a job right now and he's actually been sleeping out in the rain. And this just happened a couple weeks ago. This is poverty. Poverty and its related negative effects, such as poor health, crime, illiteracy, premature death, is a massive problem in the world today. Let's look at some statistics. There are three billion people living in poverty in the world today. That's about half the world's population. According to UNICEF, 
about 25,000 children just like this die each day due to poverty. One billion children are living in poverty. One in three children do not have adequate shelter. One in five children do not have access to safe water. One in seven children have no access to health services when they get sick. This is a picture that I took myself. And this little boy had cerebral malaria. He died the next day. He died the next day. Gets me worked up. <laughs> Every 30 seconds, another child dies from malaria. So just watch that clock. That's another child dying from malaria, something that can be prevented. But poverty is not just a global phenomenon. It affects the United States as well. And please, let's not forget that. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2008, 39.8 million Americans, or nearly 13% of the population, are living in poverty. Is that significant? That's significant. This is poverty. And poverty is certainly a world reality. And you might say, as a world problem, isn't the world already doing enough about it? Isn't the US government sending aid to Africa? They're good. Aren't we providing food stamps for people in the United States? Aren't these poor people already taken care of? This certainly doesn't have anything to do with you and I, does it? This certainly doesn't have anything to do with the Seventh-day Adventist Church today, does it? Let's turn to our guidebook, the Bible, and we're going to delve into the spirit of prophecy as well. And we are going to look at poverty and God's people, the divine prescription. First text, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 8. Let me set the context of this a little bit. This chapter is talking about fasting. And the Israelites were fasting. However, when they were fasting, they still had hatred in their hearts and strife for one another. And God is saying, no, 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 no. This is not the type of fast that you should have. This is what a true fast is. So let's read this. This is powerful. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo what? The heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to what? Share your bread with the hungry. To share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house who? The poor who are cast out. So the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked to do what? Clothe, Clothe them. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then... Your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your what? Rear guard. Let me give you an example of rear guard. A time when the Lord was a real guard is the Israelites. When they were crossing the Red Sea, the cloud came between them and the Egyptians, and the Lord was their rear guard as the waters were parting. Do you guys want God to be your rear guard? Amen. Amen. I know I want him to be my rear guard. Let's look at another text. And this is from Matthew 25. Let's open up our Bibles. Matthew 25. 
And when you get there, say, I am there. Great. And we're going to be reading verses 33 to 40. Let me set the context a little bit for this as well. So in Matthew 24, you have these signs of the end of the world, right? Matthew 24. And then in Matthew 25, you have the parable of the ten virgins. Then you have the parable of the talents. And then right after that, you have this. So this is an important teaching. And actually, two days later, Jesus dies. So pay close attention. This is one of the last things that he was trying to get across to his disciples. And let's not actually start in verse 33. Let's jump up to verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. That's going to be powerful, isn't it? Talk about a powerful sight. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his who? Sheep from the goats. Verse 33. And he will set the, set the sheep on what? The right hand. And the goats on the? left hand then the king will say to those on his right hand come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me what food I was thirsty and you did what gave me drink I was a stranger and what did you do you took me in I was naked and what happened you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you what came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, say this with me, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. Powerful. Amen? So we have these sheep that were the ones that were serving others. What about the goat? Absolutely the opposite. They were living for themselves. They were living for themselves. But you might say, Mindy, wait a minute. The first text that we read was from the Old Testament. And the second text was during Jesus' time. This was before the church was actually formed. Jesus was perfect. I mean, he was supposed to do this. This does not apply to us, the church today, right? Let's look at another text. Acts 2, verses 44 to 47. See if you can beat me there. Acts 2, verses 44 to 47. When you're there, say amen. So some of you guys beat me. So verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in what? In common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord did what? He added to the church daily those who are being saved. Amen? Amen? This is an example right here of a time when the Christian church was most pure. 
It was hugely on fire for God. It was hugely on fire with love for fellow man. I think we would do well to follow this example. Amen? But we have a huge obstacle to overcome. Huge. Selfishness. Do you guys struggle with this? I know I struggle with this every day. Selfishness and self-love. Look at this quote. It's powerful. Review and Herald, 1894. If men would do their duty as faithful stewards of the Lord's goods, there would be how much cry for bread? No, no cry for bread. Let that sink in. None suffering and destitution, none naked and in want. It is the unfaithfulness of men that brings around the state of suffering. What is it? The unfaithfulness of men in which humanity is plunged. If those whom God has made stewards would but appropriate their Lord's goods to the object for which he gave to them, this state of suffering would what? Not exist. This is a rebuke, isn't it? Wow, a huge rebuke. I know to myself, definitely. Another quote. I'm sorry for so many quotes. I know it's kind of boring sometimes, but these are just too powerful to pass by. Nothing saps spirituality from the soul more quickly than what? Have you experienced this? I know I have in my own life. When I start thinking about myself, my spiritual walk with God just goes downhill. Those who indulge self and neglect to care for the souls and bodies for whom Christ has given his life are not eating the bread of life. They are not drinking of the water of the well of salvation. They are dry and sapless, like a tree that bears no fruit. They are what? Spiritual dwarfs. That's harsh. Spiritual dwarfs. Examples in the Bible of this would be Judas. Another example would be Solomon during his time of transgression. Instead of amassing wealth for his own glory, what if he had spent that on evangelism? Ellen White actually talks about this. The gospel would have gone much further. But was there hope for Solomon? Yes. Absolutely, he repented. Is there hope for my hard heart today, for your heart today? Yes. Absolutely. Another good quote, Manuscript 65b. The Lord will work through how many people? Every, Every soul that will give himself up to be worked, not only to preach, which is important, but to minister to the despairing and to inspire hope in the hearts of the hopeless. There is something for us to do. I love this text. Let's say it together. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Amen? This is such a beautiful text. It's calling us to arise. Arise. So surrender to God and he will use you. Absolutely. But the question begs to be asked. Well, let's keep going on this quote. I cannot too strongly urge all our church members, all who are true missionaries, all who believe the what message? Third, Third angel's message. All who turn away their feet from the Sabbath to consider the message of what chapter in the Bible? 58th chapter of Isaiah. Did we just look at that? No. We did. The work of beneficence, helping others, and joined in this chapter is the work that God what? Requires. Look at this word. Requires. 
requires his people to do at this time. It is the work of his own appointment, his own appointment. But who should we help? Our fellow Seventh-day Adventists? Only those who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us? What do you guys think? Everybody. Everybody, absolutely. Jesus showed that our neighbor does not mean merely one of the church or faith to which we belong. It has no reference to race, color, class distinction. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our neighbor is who? Every person. Who needs our help? Every person. Christ's Object Lessons, page 376. So clearly here we see that God has called his people to serve those in need. Right? to serve those in poverty. And according to Matthew 25, when we are serving those less fortunate, we are actually serving Jesus Christ. Powerful. It doesn't matter if that person is like, why are you helping me and all mean? You're serving Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Oh. So poverty in God's people. I am actually excited to say that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is already, by God's grace, doing much to help those who are less fortunate. Amen? Amen? Truly. I am continually amazed and inspired every time I go to the ASI convention. Has anyone here gone? The mission stories from the U.S. and around the world are so incredibly inspiring. I am also thankful for a developing organization like ADRA who is serving the poor in 120 countries around the world. I was actually firsthand involved with ADRA last year for a little bit when I was in Malawi, Africa. And they were having a huge impact there with distributing food, with microloans, education about HIV AIDS, etc. I am also incredibly thankful for the work that respective churches do and domestically across the United States, providing such services as soup kitchens, clothing distribution, and other activities. Amen? Amen. But individually and as a church, can we do more? Yes. Absolutely. There is no question. There are billions of people here and abroad that need our temporal help. They need care. They need the love of Jesus poured out in their lives through us, yes. through every single one of you guys here. But you might ask, how can I, how can I as a young person be involved? Let me give you two examples today. And we are going to start with one of my good friends over here. So if you could come up, that would be awesome. Not yet, just a second. Thank you, though. Okay, so what is your name and how old are you? My name is Elise Harbolt and I'm 21. Okay, so what are you doing right now? Are you working? Are you studying? Um, I'm a student here at Southern and I'm studying nursing and nutrition. Okay, so I have heard that you have been working in a service project downtown. How did you get involved in that? You're working with the less fortunate. Um, um, a couple years ago, I was able to go to Arise. Um, a, it's like a missionary college. And um, I learned a lot about about how to do Bible work and, you know, how we're all supposed to be missionaries. And, and so I left really wanting to, to be involved with mission work, but I didn't exactly know 
um, what my specific calling was or anything. And then I ended up coming back to Southern, and I found out that a lot of students during that last year had started a project called the Patton Project. And um, I have some pictures here. Um, Patton Towers is a big building downtown, and it used to be called Hotel Patton. It was one of the fanciest hotels in the South, and like um, presidents and important people would stay there when they came to Chattanooga. Here we go. And um, I'm holding this because we're recording it on Audioverse, <laughs> so. Oh, there we go. Okay, so here you see Patton Towers, this big building, like right in the heart of downtown Chattanooga, and there's about 250 people who live there. Um, but now it's a, it's a building full of people who are broken, people with lots of different needs. There, um, most people there are on government disability or very poor, or they're um, the government helps to fund their stay there. So um, I got back to Southern and I found out that students have been going down and doing church services and doing different things um, in Patton Towers. And so I was able to start getting involved. And, um, and these are just a few of the people you see in the pictures. This is my friend Mary there. And um, this is Jim. And so you'll, see, you'll meet all kinds of different people at Patton Towers with different stories who... Um, who haven't had the same privileges that we've had. I, I remember the first time I went into Mary's house and I looked into her refrigerator and the things that were in there looked like they must be like three years old. I mean, there were pots full of mold and, and just nastiness everywhere and like she just can't take care of herself. And, um, and you know, there's all kinds of varying circumstances but everyone here um, has needs. And so through the Patton Project, um, Southern students got involved in doing um, the work of Jesus. And let's scoot over so they can see this picture. These are a few of the things that we were able to do. Um, we had Patton Church um, on Sabbath afternoons after we'd go to church um, around here. The students would go down and we'd put on a big church service and go all throughout the building. There's 11 floors and knock on the doors and say, hey, come down to church. And um, then we had potluck, which is like potluck. Um, and um, we had like 40 or 50 of them sign up for personal Bible studies. And so we would have Southern students all through the week going down and giving Bible studies. We did different health programs. We did a stop smoking program, um, a New Start health fair. And I remember one, one guy, his name is Merle, and bless his heart, he's just the sweetest man, and he's, he's so sad because his children have been taken away from him. And, and, um, but we were giving away water bottles, so I was telling them, you, you all need to drink two water bottles each day. And um, they're like, oh, <laughs> they, they, they didn't know that they were supposed to drink eight cups of water. And how many of us, we know that, but we just don't. Um, and so he's like, okay. And then I saw him a week or two later, and he says, I've been drinking, I've been drinking my bottles, and I feel so much better. And um, that was just so rewarding, like something that simple that any of us could do um, is, is making a, could make such an impact in someone's life. 
Um, we did a lot of friendship evangelism. We took a trip to the zoo, we took a trip to the aquarium, and a lot of places downtown would give us discounts. Um, if we call ahead and say, hey, we're bringing a group like the zoo, let us come for free. And, um, and then at the end of our time there, um, we did a, an evangelistic series for a week, and a lot of people came out and learned um, about the Bible, about the second coming, about the Sabbath, and, um, and responded to appeals. And um, I'll show you later a picture of one man in particular who's he's been going to church downtown faithfully ever since. And um, this is just, these are a couple pictures. Um, the manager at the village market let us come and collect food outside of the VM um, because we were going to have potluck the next day. And so um, we stood outside the village market and, and asked the customers coming in if they'd be willing to buy something on this list. We had a list that we gave them. And I thought, you know, well, maybe we'll get a couple bags of food. Well, the customers just kept coming and coming and piling more and more in. And at the end of the day, wow. we had, there you see, our nine shopping carts, and we, we pushed them from the VM over to Southern Village. And I just remember just thinking, wow, you know, like we have such small ideas of what God can do. And Ephesians 3, um, verse 20, is one of my very favorite texts. It says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so each of us needs to, when we're thinking about ministry, um, to allow God to give us a bigger vision of what he can do through us and to not allow um, our, our meager or non-existent resources, whether that's money or time or whatever, to get in the way of becoming involved um, because God can do way more than we can even think. And um, this is... We took a trip to the aquarium, and she's touching a, st a stingray there. This man up on the right um, with the gray hair, his name is Jackie. And um, when we first met him and, and started getting to know him, he was very dull, like very slow. And, and our Bible worker, Diana Santos, started giving him Bible studies, and he would come to church, and he came to evangelistic meetings. He came every night because we told him that they were going to get a prize. And, and he just... <laughs> Like, you could tell a difference. Like, he was getting smarter as he was studying the Bible. And, um, and he started going to, to church downtown. He comes every week. He'll cook beans and bring them to potluck. And um, I'm just, it's just so rewarding to see um, what God has been doing in his life. He's still studying the Bible. And here we took a trip to the zoo. And um, it's just, we've been able to build some wonderful relationships with these people. Um, this is Mary again, and we went on a, a riverboat cruise downtown Chattanooga, and she kept saying, I've never been on a boat before. And she was just so happy, like she never smiles, and she's, she's happy, so that made me happy. Um, this is a picture of Whitney, who, um, it was one of the one of the major success stories. Um, my friend Jeff started giving him Bible studies um, after the patent project had started, and he just fell in love with the Lord. Like he would just study his Bible. He started reading the Spirit of Prophecy, and and he didn't even know yet that um, 
that we believe that Ellen White is a prophet. And he, he told my friend Jeff, man, I think this woman is inspired or something. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and he, he just, like the Lord just really changed his heart. And he, he started to love the things of God. And he um, really wanted to learn how to be healthy because he had coronary heart disease and diabetes. And he would be going in and out of the hospital all the time. He started listening to Doug Batchelor and, and all this. And so um, anyway, we, we took a trip to the aquarium and this next weekend after this picture, he actually passed away. Mm. And um, we were there in the hospital when it happened and I remember going back, he was in the ICU and going back and seeing him and he was totally swollen up and jaundiced and, and um, on a ventilator and his chest just going up and down, but he was just about to die and thinking, you know, like the thief has not come except to steal and to kill and destroy, you know, like this is what it looks like. And, and then it says, but Jesus came that, you know, that we could have life and that we could have it more abundantly. And for me, being involved with the patent project and seeing, um, you know, this is what the devil wants to do to people. Like, this is what the devil wants to do. Each one of us is to destroy us physically and emotionally and mentally and in every way. Um, it just makes you fall in love with Jesus's mission, which is to restore restore us back into his image. And it gives you a whole new appreciation for the health message and for, for the counsel that we've been given. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing Whitney in heaven and... and um, and others. And this is another fun thing we did. Uh, we rented this cabin for a week and took a couple of the women from Patton Towers and we did like a week of new start. So we were teaching them all the remedies and we'd go hiking in the woods and, and we had worships and um, it was just fun to get them out of the city. And so it's good to, don't be afraid to think outside the box. And you know, like we're broke college students and, and all these things, like all these programs and, and renting this cabin, when you add it all together, like it's costs, it's like thousands of dollars have been spent on this project and God provided it. Amen. Like God sent family members or students or people that wanted to help. And so not having money is, is no problem when when you have God because he'll send it and this is Mildred she uh she grew to love soy milk that week and then this is Kim and and the dog there at the cabin and yeah the Isaiah 58 promise which Mindy already talked about is that um as we get involved in service it not only will bless others but it'll bless us and in Mark chapter 6 it talks about um well, let's just go there real quick. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark 6, 34, it's, it's talking about Jesus. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. What did he have? Compassion. And so often these people downtown, no one has compassion on them. They're the kind of people that, you know, when a family's driving through the city, they lock the doors and they, they hurry and they say, don't talk to that person. And um, 
I'm glad that Jesus has compassion on people. And I'm glad that Jesus has compassion on us, whether we're poor, whether we're rich. Jesus has compassion on everyone. And then after, after it says that he saw them, he had compassion on them, the disciples recognized a problem. Um, because Jesus had, had begun, he begun to teach the people. So the disciples recognized the problem that they didn't have anything to eat. Um, and he's, they said, send them away, send them away to, to get food. And verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And um, we, we recognize there's such a need in the world, there's such a need... Um, for homeless people, for, for people in every walk of life, in every circumstance, and Jesus has compassion. And, and instead of just standing around and saying, well, there's a need we, need, we need to come to God and tell him about it. And then he says, you give them something to eat. You do something about the need. And so then the story goes on um, to where God took something very small and made it made it multiply to take care of the needs not only of of the people there but of the disciples and I love verse uh, 42 it says and they all ate and were satisfied and so all these issues all these problems that we talk about Jesus has solutions for them and Jesus wants to use us and as we get involved in his service um, we will also be satisfied Amen. Thank you so much, Elise, for that. So last year they worked in Patton Towers, and now she's doing another project, Grace in Action. But I'm going to bring up Luther. Thank you so much. So this is an example about something being done by a young person in the U.S. So now let's bring up Luther and see what he's up to these days. So this is Luther Whiting. How old are you, Luther? 20 years old. Okay, so he's 20 years old. What are you doing right now? Are you working, studying? I'm a full-time student, um, like most everyone else in this room, and I'm majoring in uh, international business here at Southern. Very good. Okay, I have heard that you are developing a project in a country halfway around the world. What country is this? Afghanistan. Wow. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. When I think of Afghanistan, I might think of Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, terrorism, safety issues. Why Afghanistan, of all places, Luther? Did God lead you there? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, if you would have asked me several years ago if I'd ever want to work in Afghanistan or, or travel there, I would have said, where is Afghanistan? <laughs> um, I, hadn't, I, didn't really, I hadn't really heard of the country until I was 11 years old. And some of you may have heard a little bit of this in Sabbath school. Um, but I remember uh, distinctly, I had just finished a 10-mile hike with my dad. We were uh, driving back home uh, in the car, and we turned the radio on, and um, we, we heard the words, the United States has bombed Afghanistan. So all of a sudden, this, this country that um, I had never really heard of before uh, just kind of you know, plummeted in, into my conscience and, and that of the rest of the world. Um, and I remember being intrigued just by hearing that, that word Afghanistan. It just sounded, sounded so intriguing to me. But I never thought I'd have the chance to uh, travel there or work there. Um, and so that was basically the end of it. Um, several years went by. And um, then all of that changed uh, all of a sudden in the year 2006. Uh, my parents accepted the opportunity to work in Afghanistan in the capital city of Kabul in a, a humanitarian um, aspect. They're actually working in some, some hospitals there in Kabul. 
And uh, so I got the chance to visit them. And I was expecting to find a country that, you know, uh, matched all the typical stereotypes we hear about. You know, I was I was expecting to uh, see Osama bin Laden's and Al Zawahiri's walking everywhere, um, big bearded guys with Kalashnikovs shooting any foreigner in sight. You know, that that type of thing, um, roadside bombs, a desert wasteland. But um, instead, I found something uh, quite different that that intrigued me. So anyway, to make a a long story short, um, I really enjoyed my two months there in Afghanistan, 2006, uh, and I knew I wanted to come back. Um, I felt like the country had a, l a little piece of my heart. Um, but then I got caught up in finishing high school, and um, you, know, you get tunnel vision in, uh, when you're in education, don't you? Have you noticed that? Um, it, it becomes very self-centered, and you forget um, some of those bigger things in life that, that uh, tend to be important. So. Um, it wasn't until I was at Arise, and I was actually in, in Mindy's class, um, and I, I was in uh, the Arise classroom um, the semester after after um, finishing high school, and, and I was just sitting there, and, and David Ashrick was talking to us, and he was like, you know, there are many countries in the world that are basically still unreached, and he mentioned Afghanistan. It's one of the first countries he mentioned. It's like, wow, I've... I've been there, but what am I doing about that experience? You know, like how how can I possibly just um, you know sit here um, in, in my comfortable chair, you know, here here in the United States, and not not do anything about that experience? So um, anyway, to to shorten the story, um, I, I felt God really really calling me there, and I've never been sure about um, anything more in my life, really. I can tell you that, and uh, so that conviction just just grew. I talked to some other people about um, about that, and uh, so I set out to head to Afghanistan the next semester. Well, um, I I knocked on a whole bunch of doors, um, and no doors opened. So I um, two weeks before uh, Southern started, I I uh, signed up for classes and, and came to Southern and had a good time here. Um, but anyway. Um, I eventually got the opportunity to travel to Afghanistan again, summer of 2008. And when I was in Afghanistan that second time, like it just confirmed all the more to me that I wanted to um, spend you know, a good portion of, of um, my life work over there. And uh, so, but to actually work there in a, in, um, a main capacity is, is very hard for a young person. Um, How old were you when you started this? I was, let's see, I would have been... 17 when I first traveled to Afghanistan, and then uh, eight, 19 when I traveled there. No, 18 when I traveled there the second time, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so I, I uh, talked to different organizations and whatnot about getting, getting involved with them, but it, it wasn't really logistically possible because no one wanted to hire a 19-year-old. So um, I ended up uh, creating a small nonprofit organization uh, called No Shock. It's named after Afghanistan's uh, highest peak, No Shock Peak, and um, and it was just it was a a process that was filled with a lot of prayer because it was intimidating to me thinking of starting up an organization. I mean, I'm just a sh shy college kid, but um, it was just. I took it step by step and uh, you know, talked to people, got the organization together. Uh, so uh, No Shock right now is a, um, is a registered uh, nonprofit organization uh, here in the States um, and also registered with the IRS as a tax-deductible organization. And we're also registered as an NGO in Afghanistan. Um, 
And since I'm you know juggling in, in education and and uh, going over overseas as well, you know stuff. You, you take it a step a step at a time. It, it doesn't move um, amazing amazingly fast. But we're just anyway. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no problem. Thank you so much. But let me ask you this: What is NoShock? What is its goal? Is it targeting poverty in any way? Absolutely. Um, Afghanistan is is one of the uh, world's poorer countries, one of the poorest, and uh, has a very low GDP, uh, gross domestic product, uh, for those of you who have taken um, economics. And and you probably know this already, but 90% of the world's opium uh, comes from Afghanistan, is sourced from that country, 90%. And so the little GDP that Afghanistan does have virtually all comes from from opium, which is a very destructive industry. So there's a huge need um, for combating poverty in that country. So um, at No Shock, our focus is is helping the the, uh, villagers develop uh, small businesses and industries to help them earn a sustainable income. That's our main focus. So what advice would you give as a youth to your fellow youth about getting involved in an activity like this? I once heard a quote that said, uh, follow a dream that captures your heart. And I'd like to rephrase that a little bit. Um, I'd, I'd rephrase it this way. Uh, follow a dream that captures God's heart, and it'll capture your heart also. Um, there's a world of, of need out there, so many needs that are astronomical. And um, as, as young people especially, we're, we're especially situated to, to help address those problems. So I would just encourage you to use your youthful energies for a cause. And if God has called you to something, don't let anything get in the way of that. Amen, Amen Luther. So we have examples here of two youth, one in the U.S., one abroad, serving others for God's glory, attacking the issues of poverty. It's inspiring, amen? Amen. I'm inspired. So let me pull this back up, and then we'll wrap up. Where is it? Here? No. Here? Thank you. Appreciate that. So young people making a difference for God's glory. So as we're wrapping up, as we're wrapping up, just a few words of caution about attacking these issues. First of all, It is God's purpose that the rich and the poor shall be closely bound together. He bids us interest ourselves in every case of suffering. Think it not lowering to your dignity to minister to suffering humanity. So this is awesome, amazing, do it, all right? But a first caution, a first caution. This is from Testimonies. We may give to the poor and harm them, actually. We may give to the poor and harm them by teaching them to be dependent. Real charity helps men to help themselves. And I think a good example of this is what Elise and Luther are doing. They're helping people to establish businesses, to start thinking about religious things, helping them to help themselves. So education falls into this. Job training falls into this. Developing practical skills falls into this. A second caution, 
A second caution. Of late, a great interest has been aroused for the poor and outcast classes. A great work has been entered upon for the uplifting of the fallen and degraded. This in itself is what? It's a good work, but Christ preached the gospel to the poor, amen, but he did not confine his labors to this class. He worked for all who would hear his word, not only the publican and the outcast, but the rich and cultivated Pharisee, the Jewish nobleman, the centurion, etc. So yes, it's an important work. We need to enable them to develop skills, but we, ha we can't forget the rest of the world, right? So this is important to remember, definitely. So in conclusion, I walk the halls of Malamulo Hospital. I look at the children in the hospital beds. Many are emaciated. They have lost that childish glint in their eyes. They are just staring off into the distance like the life is being pushed out of them. This little child here had been actually starving for weeks and weeks. And now she was at the hospital getting nourishment. This is poverty. This is an excruciating reality. It's a massive world problem. As Christians, you and I, what are we going to do? If you with me want to make Isaiah 58's call to share your bread with the hungry, to cover the naked, to serve the poor, to serve wherever God leads, then stand with me now and let's have a prayer. <clears throat> let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to study more with all the individuals here about the topic of poverty. God, open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear. May we be not so wrapped up in our own reality that we forget what's happening in the world around us. Lord God, there are people here, I don't know how you're speaking to their hearts, I don't know the plans that you have for them, but I know that you have a plan to give them a hope and a future, and I just ask that you impress upon their minds the way that they should go. And I just ask that you enable your church to arise and shine and reach out to all people, especially those who are poor, Heavenly Father. May we reach out to them, God, please. And God, just come soon. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.